Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us this morning for worship. We're so glad you're here. Such a beautiful day. Hey, just to add to quickly the announcements, um, the Thanksgiving meal, so like when I hear the $20, personally, I think to myself, well, that'd probably feed one or two people. But the way that uh, Moonlight has been so kind and generous to us, it's going to feed the whole family. Also, it'll provide drinks and a dessert. So the $20 actually feeds everybody in the room abundantly. So it's well worth the money. I hope you guys will consider helping us with that. We only have two weeks left, this Sunday and next Sunday. The next Sunday is when we actually take the meals to the rooms, to the families in the room. So if you don't have the money on you and you just don't carry cash like me, make sure you bring it next week so you can be sure to get that to the people at the uh, table out there so that we can make sure everybody gets fed for Thanksgiving. Also, uh, James Burnett had mentioned, uh, you've probably seen it kind of scroll through, but he is the van ministry, driving ministry leader uh, at Matthew's table. And uh, he, he's asking that one or two other people consider helping him with driving the van on the weekends so that they can rotate and one person doesn't have to do it all the time. If you guys don't know about the van ministry, you need to know because we're literally shuttling in every Sunday, somewhere between 10 to 20 people at all the different places here in the community that we choose to love on. So we'd love for you guys to get with James. He's right up here. He's just a little better looking than me, not much. But uh, also, if you were to have a conversation with Miss Patty here, she would explain to you what you all are missing on the van ministry is that once they leave on Sunday mornings, they have church again in the van. So, so it's just a neat opportunity to serve. And if there's any, and by the way, you need a driver's license and insurance and probably some uh, anyways all right also uh if you're here this morning and you're not committed to matthew's table and you know you're just trying to fill this out and trying to figure out if this is where god's calling you to serve not sit in the pew um we're having commitment class next sunday morning in the choir room just at the end of this hallway here so we'd ask that if you're uh praying through or you're convinced maybe this is where god's calling you to call home uh, we'd ask that you, you join us next Sunday morning, 9.30, in the choir room. You're going to hear what to expect from us and, and what we expect from you guys. And maybe you don't know that yet. Maybe you're still trying to figure that out. That's okay. You can come and listen. You don't, you don't have to feel obligated to join the church, but you can come and listen and, and see what we believe and what we're about and what we hope to accomplish with you being a part of Matthew's table. And finally, if, um, if you are committed to Matthew's table and uh, you want to continue to worship the Lord by way of giving, you can text 73256, 73256, and worship the Lord with what he's blessed you with. Or you can give in the boxes in the back. And then also, real quick... Uh, Tina, raise your hand. We have a jail letter writing ministry where people refer inmates to us who are lonely and could use some encouragement. 
When I was in jail, it was my absolute favorite time of the day. It was mail call, just hoping that they'd call my name and, and, and you know, feel loved. Uh, if you'd like to um, be a part of that and write inmates and encourage and bless them, you can get with Tina after the service. Um, and, and if you have letters that are due, you can get the letters in so that we can get them sent out. All right, that's it. Y'all ready? I'm going to pray. I'm going to be real with you guys. I like to be real and I like to be raw. Uh, I've been struggling this morning, so I just want to go before the Lord and I want to trust that it's Him speaking through me, not me. So if you all would pray with me quickly. Father, I just give thanks for uh, another day. Lord, what a beautiful day in November to be so warm and, and pretty. But even more, Lord, what a beautiful name it is in the Lord Jesus Christ and what you've done with him for us. Lord, we thank you. Lord, just give me the words that you would have me say this morning that glorify you and point people to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. we uh, Guys, we're wrapping up uh, chapter 3 this morning, which puts us halfway through the book of Galatians. So, what I want to do quickly is just kind of review what we've learned so far, just run you through the uh, first three chapters as fast as I can so that you're kind of tracking with us and you're on page with us and you don't feel like I have no idea what he's talking about this morning. So I'm going to do that now. The Apostle Paul, who planted the churches in the region of Galatia, to kind of help you with that, it would be like in the state of Kentucky... Okay, it's not one church, it's multiple churches. It'd be, uh, today it would be the modern day Turkey, uh, to which shortly afterwards he had done those things. He had false teachers, somebody's texting me trying to get me, I don't know what they're doing. He had false teachers come behind him and corrupt the one true gospel. So Paul sends this letter, which is what we call the book of Galatians that's in our Bible, correcting what had been polluted. And Paul in chapter 1 defends his authority. If you guys remember, I said if you can discredit the messenger, you can distort the message, and that's what they attempt to do. And so he defends his authority so that his message can be kept true. He explains that there's one true gospel. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I want you all to say that with me real quickly. Y'all ready? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Good job. Chapter 2. Those same false teachers, which by the way were Jewish Christians. Right? They influenced even Peter by adding a dietary law. That's what they were asking them to observe a kosher meal that they used to have to eat under the Old Testament law so that they were right with God. And Paul argues that we're saved by grace alone, justified by faith alone, making us right with God by Christ alone. And in chapter 3, we've learned that as a result of being justified by faith alone and saved by grace alone, we're empowered by the Spirit of God to obey the commands of God, inheriting the promise of God that was given to Abraham, which means the Old Testament covenant 
is fulfilled by the New Testament covenant. All right? You don't do away with one. They, they marry one another. Amen? And last week, Nick did an excellent job at explaining the purpose of the law, being that it revealed our sin. And you guys may remember, if you were here, he used a mirror. And by looking in the mirror, which is in the same way by looking in the Word of God, it exposes our sin. It exposes our flaws. And how God's perfect standard that couldn't be met pointed us to needing a Savior. Which brings us to the final passage, closing out chapter 3 this morning. This week, we're going to learn, we're going to see how the purpose of the law, which was to reveal our sins so that we saw a need for a Savior, how it plays out in our lives, how it serves us now, even in Christ. And ironically, as Nick was preaching this, that very message last weekend, I had a great conversation with a brother that we love that was arguing with me on how we have to do certain things to stay saved. What's that teach us? It teaches us not to be naive. Church, the greatest enemy to the true gospel message is legalism, and it runs rampant in the church today. So to be clear and put this argument to bed, I want you to hear the good news of the gospel, which is actually quite simple. You, me, and everyone else is saved by works. But the work is something God did, not anything I can do. And by trusting in Him and His work, I'm made right with God and live on borrowed righteousness. I'm adopting His righteousness, not my own. Amen? Y'all are slacking. Somebody's sleeping. Last church, hey, listen, I said we're saved by works, and they was like, like two of them got up and left. I don't even, I was trying to get your attention. Because, yeah, we can say we're saved by works, but it's His works, not our own. Amen? So the rhetorical question that Paul proposed in our passage last week, why then the law? Why did God give us the law to begin with? We answer another question that causes problems within the church today. If it's faith alone and Christ alone, by grace alone, do we ignore the law of God altogether? My answer would be a very deep theological truth that I want you guys to write down, text to yourself, post on Facebook even, so that maybe it comes back up on your news feed in a year from now so that you can see it again. Y'all ready? Don't be a Billy Madison. I'm not sure that translates... Well, due to me assuming everyone has seen the movie Billy Madison, and by the way, I'm not encouraging you watch that movie. I watched it well before I ever became a, a Christian. However, it's being used as an illustration so that the text kind of comes alive, right? So let me set the stage for you by giving you the Rotten Tomatoes summary of the movie Billy Madison. Billy Madison is a grown man. He's a man-child who's irresponsible 
and he's drinking, and he's party. He's just obnoxious. He's always rebelling against the father's desires for him, right? And so he eventually uh, has to face the fact that his father, who, by the way, is a millionaire, owns all kinds of hotels, is coming to the end of his life, and he's explaining to him that you are in jeopardy of losing the inheritance. So Billy negotiates with him, and he makes this deal. I'm going to go back to school, kindergarten through 12th grade. I'm going to do all the work necessary so that I'm capable of graduating school, prove myself to you, and then I can please you and inherit everything that you have. Okay? If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29. If you don't have your Bibles with you, uh, you can read with me on the screen as I read this passage to you. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir to the promise. Amen? Yeah, I did this earlier, lost myself. We know after last week that the law of God with all its demands and commands reveals that no one is righteous. No one is good in and of themselves. And no one is capable of saving themselves. So its intention, the why then, was simply to bring about a death. Because Paul said back in verse 21, for if a law had been given. For if, for if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. We also learn that the law was given to Moses after the promise. And so God sets His people free from slavery to the, to the Egyptians. Then He initiates, He implements the commandments that would serve a role in the life of God's people for another 2,000 years. But it also plays a part in our own lives, which is what we are going to learn today. So let's dive straight in. Verse 23, I'm going to walk you through each verse. Because th what this does is it just builds on itself and progressively goes from good news to better news to absolutely amazing news. Verse 23, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Meaning, before the promised Messiah that would take away the sins of the world, 
God's solution to man's problem, being Jesus, the Son of God Himself, all of mankind was and still is for those of you here who haven't received God's provided substitution for your sin, or you're all under the law. You're all imprisoned, right? You're in prison waiting for God's judgment unless faith in Christ comes. Verse 24. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. The law here is referred to as a guardian and the Greek word kind of translates two different ways. The Greek word for guardian can be thought of as a jail guard whose goal is to make sure that we're following the rules. And I can't help to think about one particular jail guard that I had in county jail. I was there for only seven months, but all of us inmates couldn't stand this one particular jail guard because he made sure we were following all the rules. They called him a jerk. The truth was he just did his job. And the blessing to him that I can look back and appreciate now was you, could, you knew what to expect from him day in and day out. It didn't change. It didn't deviate. It stayed the same. Right? But in some other translations, it's called our teacher or schoolmaster and even tutor. Meaning, while the purpose was intended to reveal our need for a Savior, it serves each of us, in some ways, babysits us, along our journey of life, disciplining us with consequences, both physically and spiritually. Making Romans 6, verse 23, true. Wages of sin is death. Amen? God's commands, His law, teaches us how He wants us to live and in many ways could be compared to how we think of some past school teachers. You know the teacher I'm talking about. The one when signing up for classes you try to avoid because you've heard that they have little to no grace or little to no compassion. They're real strict real strict, and, gave, and give no do-overs or second chances to all of our... My dog ate the homework. Right? My computer crashed last night. You're not going to believe this, but just all of a sudden it was a freak accident. My computer crashed and I need a do-over. Right? They're all business. And when it came to getting your assignments being done, they were asked to be done in a timely manner. Their expectations were high and they were quick to administer the necessary discipline when you acted out in class. This teacher is never our favorite teacher because we like the ones who are lenient and allow us to get away with everything. 
And so God's law works the same way in our lives and why we don't like it and rebel against it because if the teacher is doing their job, they're pushing you to be better. And in this case, with the law, that better you is outside of yourself because you can't pass God's class. It's designed for you to fail. Not because he's a cruel and unloving God, but exactly the opposite. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, rebelling against God, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Doesn't sound like a cruel, unjust God to me. God took my final exam and passed the test for me so that the test would become my testimony. And so that I'd be testifying to how I in no way am capable of making myself right with God. In a sense, keeping with my illustration, I've graduated from being schooled by the law because I learned all the lessons necessary to cry out for God's assistance. So the law serves as a disciplinarian teacher for disobedient children until faith comes. And that faith can come today, just so you know. We move on from college to career. Verse 25 and verse 26, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. Paul moves from the purpose of the law, revealing our sin, needing a Savior, and how it serves us or applies to us as a teacher or jail guard to our identity as a believer. Essentially, who we are in Christ. And I love what he said, how he says, but now that faith has come. But now indicates we aren't who we used to be and tells us through faith we've graduated from the strict demands of the law and been set free to carry on our career as a Christian operating under his diploma, under his credentials, and under his accomplishment, officially becoming a part of God's family and joining his team. If you would entertain me for a moment and imagine standing on the graduation platform with a cap and gown receiving your diploma where the only work you did to receive that diploma was break all the rules, skip class, and spend all of your time in detention. I know that sounds familiar for a lot of you, so don't get hung up on that. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make a point because it's hard. It's, that's hard to grasp. But you still made the grade to be done with school. It's so hard to grasp it's, it, that I, I want to try to help you and I'm going to put it into perspective for you to consider it this way. This truth 
is so profound that if it don't do something to you, you ain't willing to be done to. Jesus, being God in the flesh, means He created the tree He hung Himself on. So we might say, hey, that's great, you know, you guys have heard it. You've heard that Christ has died for my sins, right? That's a good thing. No, He took the time and willingly created the tree He would cut the cross out of so that He could hang Himself on for undeserving, unworthy sinners like myself. Charles Spurgeon said it this way, You stand before God as if you were Christ. Because Christ stood before God as if He were you. Which means He's handed out the test knowing we would fail because He would take the test for us, allowing us to join Him in doing the work we were created to do. Verse 27. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. And we need, we need, to, we need to talk about that a little bit, right? Baptism, so you've got to listen. Baptism is the ceremony you attend to receive your diploma. And for clarity... I need you to hear me make this verse clear or it leads us back to being under the law. And everything Paul has argued up to this point would be useless. Baptism is not the event that makes you right with God. There's nothing magical about the water. There's nothing that adds to you so that you can be accepted by God. But rather, the symbolism of baptism signifying life, death, burial, and resurrection. John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, a Pharisee, that you must be born again. To say one has to be baptized to be saved is adding to the gospel. So we can be confident that the only way to not be under the law is to be in Christ. And that can only come from a genuine, born-again conversion that looks a lot like what Paul has already taught us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. New creation is one who has died, been buried, and raised again to walk in newness of life. So baptism isn't an event. It's a real death to life. It's not by way of association. So just because you've chosen to come to church today doesn't mean you're right with God. Just because your grandma was a devout Christian who faithfully served the Lord and gave and did good deeds that does not make you right with God. 
but rather the one who sees their inability to measure up to please God's perfect standards and receives the gift of eternal life. Freeing us from the power of sin and leading to a new life, dressing us in new clothes. Right? It's where he says, put on Christ. It means spiritual clothes. It means attributes of your Father. And I love that visual because it illustrates somewhat the main point of the passage. Those who have died to self and received the gift of God must put on, keeping with my illustration, the ceremonial cap and gown. Because that's your new identity. Some other places that Paul talks about this being clothed in Christ and putting on the new self, and he commands us to do so as Ephesians 4, verse 4. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And then Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 and 12. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of of its Creator, in verse 12, put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We see it communicates to us a way of reminding ourselves in the same way a uniform determines our status. I see someone wearing a cop uniform, it's safe to assume that they have the ability to write me a ticket for breaking the law, right? If I'm out in public and I see someone wearing scrubs, I'm obviously assuming they're a nurse, and there's something that takes place where someone falls out, I can assume at worst case scenario, they'd be able to at least administer CPR, amen? They act like it. Even better, if I'm at Chick-fil-A, I can trust they're going to be serving me some sandwiches. And they're going to do it fast, and they're going to be friendly, and they're going to be, it's going to be excellent service. Amen? A Christian clothed in Christ is forgiven and free from their past, no longer a slave to sin and under the law. And some of y'all... And some of y'all need to start acting like it. You don't act like you're free. Right? And finally, Paul closes with making it clear who all qualifies to receive the diploma. And I'm hoping at this, this point, those of you in Christ are reminded of your position this morning, your identity. You are a graduate and you're expected to act like it. Obeying the law of God because you want to, not because you have to. Trusting in faith in God's provision to carry out your duties as a son and daughter of God. Because oftentimes I see many of you in Christ that look like Billy Madison trying to go back to kindergarten and please your father. 
You fall short. You make a mistake. You worry about what others think of you. You wrestle with no desire. Why do I not feel like reading the Bible? I don't want to go to church today. I don't feel like praying. And your solution is that you need to all of a sudden do more so that you can make the Lord happy with you. But for others here this morning, this is where the good news gets better. But before we see that life-changing truth, I need to call a timeout so I can be faithful to the text and show everyone two things Paul isn't saying in these last two verses. So that we are right, rightly dividing and understanding the Word of God. Verse 27 and 28. For as many of you... Or 28 and 29, I'm sorry. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise that reads in a way that many people in church today have taken it somewhere it was never intended to be. We can trust that the Word is the absolute truth. Amen? We can trust that there's a consistent message that God is an orderly God. Amen? In context of the passage is what we always want to consider when looking for the true meaning of what the verse is suggesting. Context is king. Being how... So in chapter 3, as we've been walking through it, it's been all about how we make sense of both the law and the promise. And this morning we've seen that the role of the law continues to serve people today. And the next two verses refer to our redemptive privileges. They in no way give permission or make room for us changing the functions of roles for church people and families. The world may change. Thinking about things and, and how things work may change. But the Lord never changes. Malachi 3.6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. So although the world begins to redefine marriage, redefine family, redefine the roles of a man and the roles of the woman. The church can't do that. But when the church thinks about this verse, they race to it to begin to make sense of why they are starting to look a lot like the world. More specifically, a woman being a pastor. Or... Or the idea that um, submitting to authority is, is a form of inferiority. When in reality, the Bible's very clear that some, a wife submitting to the man is in the same way the man is submitting to Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. And let me tell you something. The man better be sacrificial, he better love her unconditionally, and he better serve her just like Jesus did by washing her feet. And if your man ain't doing that, then I'd say don't submit to him and let me know, because me and him's going to have a talk. 
Another example that we can say, hey, I've, I've read the Bible, I've looked at the Bible, and I feel like there's a lot of truth there. Some of y'all husbands are like, hey, you heard him, boy. Huh? You heard him. Look, that's my point. You better be dying to yourself every day. Don't come asking me, her, to submit to you if you ain't serving her like Jesus serves us. Because it ain't happening. And then you, you consider the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That the Son submitted to the Father and willingly came from heaven to earth to die for us. And then goes back to his throne and sends the Holy Spirit. See how one is submitting to the other? It's willingly. It's not forcible. Another thing, redefining marriage and redefining the roles of men and women is, is killing our culture. And that culture cannot begin to find its way within the church. And so where the church is allowing women to be pastors because men aren't men enough to do what they're supposed to do. Where same-sex marriages start coming into the church. It's all because of this right here. They try to act like this verse is making, giving permission for us to change. God never changes. God ain't the problem. We are. That's not unloving. That's not unkind. I'll never forget the first time that somebody looked at me face to face and was a man and told me, look brother, you are in sin. And I know the world says it's okay, but if you don't choose to repent today and trust in Christ, you have a very difficult future. Right? I think it's more unloving to not be truthful. As long as it's true and it's the Word. So the true meaning of this passage is we are all one in Christ if we are Christ. That's what he says, if you are Christ. Right? Having equal forgiveness equal mercy, equal grace, and equal access to the Father. No matter your race, no matter your social status, no matter your gender, no matter your formal sexuality, and with that beautiful truth, we can be sure of this. There are no valedictorians in the kingdom but Christ Himself. There are no country clubs that exclude others in the kingdom of heaven. We each, in Christ, serve God in different roles ordained by God for the plan of God. And no one's greater than the other because we're all equal at the foot of the cross. And we all come to the cross facing the same consequence of God's wrath and justice, which the blood of Christ overcame. Clothing us in righteousness and providing us the credentials to be good with God on Judgment Day. So knowing the good news, God sent His Son to die for us, undeserving, unworthy sinners. This makes it even better news because all who receive Christ, or keeping with my illustration, graduate by faith, are welcome at the table. I'm not talking about Matthew's table. I'm talking about that table in heaven. The great banquet table. Amen? Still hard to grasp, though, to some extent. I get it. I really do. So let me put it into perspective for you. This is my real-life Billy Madison experience, okay? Uh, age 32, I decided I'd go back to school. So I went to college, and I was literally that 
fat, bald, 32-year-old guy that was in class with a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds, and they're all over, hey, look at that dude, <laughs> you know, making fun of me and everything. But needless to say, it doesn't matter. I felt like a I felt like Billy Madison, to be honest, but uh, in college, uh, but more importantly, as a Christian, as a new creation, I really desired to please my Heavenly Father, and, and, and although I had three kids and a couple of them playing sports and working a full-time job, I was in, uh, in many ways burning uh, the candle at both ends. And I was growing tired and growing wearied, and that 4.0 grade point average became somewhat of an idol for me. And I'd get frustrated and discouraged, and I was meeting with a man at the time who was an elder at the church that I was in. And uh, thankfully and graciously, he asked me this question. Do you know what a doctor who graduated with a 2.8 grade average was called? I don't, I don't guess. I don't guess. A doctor. The grade, the grade point average don't matter. He passed the class. He graduated and moved on. Amen? Guys, what this, these last two verses also don't mean is that everyone goes to heaven but that everyone can go to heaven. Paul, we have to remember, Paul is writing to Christians as he's telling them that, they're, that they are the heirs according to the promise. John, uh, John Stott, great theologian and, uh, and pastor, he puts it best. He said, God is not a universal father, but the father of the universe who's provided a way for those who repent and believe. That's good news. Amen? Music team can start making their way up here. And we can know that that's true, that God has provided that solution, and that everybody has an equal chance to receive that diploma because of Acts chapter 2, verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's good news, church. It's good news. That means unlike the school system that's based on performance and how well you do to move on, everyone gets the acceptance letter to advance. The question is, if you accepted the offer from the Lord, are you living like that? When someone sees you or, or experiences you do, you, do you seem as if you've been forgiven from your past? Do you seem as if you are free from your past? As a career Christian, walking out in faith, or are you forfeiting the Father's inheritance so that you can live your life the way you want to, rebelling against the Father? Which brings us to the final verse, verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is what I would say is encouragement for the believer and the unbeliever. Since you have graduated, or once you do, it doesn't matter if you have a 3.0 
or a 4.0. I know what many of us do is we like to compare our walks to other people's walks. Or we like to compare the way we're living our life to the way other people are living our lives. And we begin to think to ourselves, there's actually no way I could ever become who they are, right? But the, the, the verse here says you're an heir to the kingdom and you stand to inherit everything heaven has to offer you. Which is the hope that we have as a child of God. Nothing on this side of heaven can compare to what we have coming. So as we close this morning, I want to invite both those who are clothed in Christ and those who are outside of the wonderful gift of Jesus to not be a Billy Madison because that's what you look like. Right? Don't laugh. Like some of you, you're trying to please God all of a sudden again. As if what he done wasn't enough. And that's what you look like. And some of you think that you can still do it your way and everything will end up going pretty well. But the teacher's teaching you a lesson. And you're going to experience some consequences, I promise you, you don't like. And as foolish as that may seem, it's the truth. If you're in Christ, remember, the Father is pleased with you. Not based on your performance, but His performance. And if you've yet to accept the gift that God has offered you, then you're still under the law. Let today be the day you accept His gracious offer. Because the law is not going anywhere. Jesus said He didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill it. And those who trust in Him inherit all the Father's riches. So if you're in Christ this morning, you can be confident that you've been clothed in righteousness and you no longer have to trust in what you're capable of doing. If you are not in Christ this morning, you have an opportunity to receive the free gift of salvation. And I know some of you, He's working on you. He's moving, right? I don't know who that is. I can't tell you who it is. You know who it is. Your heart. He starts, he starts dealing with your heart. And you hear Him softly calling your name. And whoever calls on His name will be saved. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.